welcome to Wellness Your Way. I'm your host, Megan Lyons, and I've helped thousands of people find their own way to wellness. Wellness Your Way is an extension of that work, aimed to help you find your unique path to feeling your very best. Each week, we'll go through tactical strategies you can use to improve your health, happiness, and quality of life. So grab a mug of tea or lace up your walking shoes. We're about to dive in. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to episode 146 of Wellness Your Way. As usual, I am excited to be spending the next 30 minutes or so with you. I hope you're taking me out on a walk. I hope it's cooler where you are than in Texas, and I hope you're having just the best day so far and the best week so far as well. As usual, I have a bunch of really exciting information to share with you. In the veggies of the matter, we are going to be talking about wheat flour. I'll take you back to my childhood where I kind of remember complaining, oh, we have to eat wheat. And my mom would say, yeah, it's the healthier option. And she was right. It was the healthier option as opposed to Wonder Bread or whatever other white bread was the alternative. But is wheat flour an actual health food the way that we have tended to make it seem? We're going to explore that today and I'll go through six reasons why you may want to reconsider wheat flour and potentially find another option. The veggies of the matter section is a pre-recorded episode way back from March of 2021. All of the information is still applicable, up-to-date, and useful, so I hope you'll enjoy that replay. And by the way, if you are ever wondering why I do these replays, here's an interesting thing. I'm spouting all day through my one-to-one client meetings. I might have 10, 12 meetings a day. I'm talking about different nutrition information. Then I'm writing blog posts. Then I'm doing podcast episodes. Then I'm doing corporate presentations. Then I'm doing other speaking engagements. Then I'm talking to the media. Then I'm writing a paper for my doctorate. I'm putting out all of this content. I don't remember what I talked about two years ago. Of course, I remember the information that is uh, solidified in my brain, thank goodness. But actually writing a specific blog post or recording a specific podcast episode, I don't remember that from two years ago. And so if I don't remember it and I'm the one who wrote it, put it together, recorded it, all of that stuff, how in the world would I expect you all, dear listeners, to remember it? I don't. So the reason I do these recording or re-recordings about every four episodes is because I want to bring to light again the information that I find so valuable and that I know everyone needs a refresher on. And I would never do that for an episode that was time sensitive or I feel like isn't that applicable or you hear it once and you never need to hear it again, something like that. So I hope you enjoy it. And in fact, I've gotten really good feedback from those of you who appreciate the episodes that I am pulling back out from the archives. Uh, That said, I'm also adding some new information today. And the new information is a July 2023 study on six foods to eat more of 
for your heart health. So that'll be coming right up in health news you can use section. Let's go ahead and dive in. All right, friends, for health news you can use, I'm talking about a fun one coming out of the European Heart Journal in July 2023. And I think this one is fun because so often research shows us the things to not eat. And honestly, that is important and can be important. But if we start hearing over and over and over again, don't eat this, don't eat that, don't eat this, don't eat that, it can be a bit overwhelming. And so I love those studies that help us find what to eat more of. That feels more empowering. It feels more motivating to so many of us. And this one is very exciting. It was done based on PURE study data. So PURE is an acronym for Prospective Urban Rural Epidemiology. This is a very large ongoing study. It was done on 147,642 people in 21 countries. And basically the researchers tracked the foods that they the, the participants ate and correlated these foods with the risk of all-cause mortality, so dying from any cause, cardiovascular disease in specific, myocardial infarction, which is heart attack, and stroke. So all-cause mortality, cardiovascular disease, heart attack, and stroke. And they isolated six food groups that when we eat more of them, we actually have lower risk for all of those diseases. Pause me for a second and think about what those food groups might be. If you've been around wellness your way for long enough, I know you can guess most of them. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what they are. I hope all of you are just giving a loud choral uh, uh, celebration of vegetables because that is the first category. The researchers found that people who consumed at least two to three servings of vegetables per day fared better on cardiovascular disease, heart attack, stroke, etc., and then fruit is the second one. They also found a higher than expected number, at least two to three servings per day of fruit did better with cardiovascular disease risk. Nuts was the next category, at least one serving of nuts per day. Legumes or beans was the next category, at least three to four servings per week. And then fish is the fifth category, at least two to three servings per week. And the last category, I have to say it surprised me, but as we've discussed here, the research on dairy goes all kinds of different ways. Is it inflammatory to most? Yes. Does low quality dairy cause potential issues with hormones, skin, acne, et cetera, bloating, digestive issues? Yes. But does good quality whole fat dairy potentially support health? In this study, the answer was yes. Those who consumed whole fat dairy, two servings per day, did better on these four outcomes, all-cause mortality, cardiovascular disease, heart attack, and stroke. Very interesting. So many of you may or may not have guessed that last one, but let me just recap for you. Vegetables, fruits, nuts, legumes, fish, and whole fat dairy. And the researchers found that people who hit at least five of these six groups in the recommended servings did the absolute 
best. They did not, interestingly, look at a core or find a correlation between grains and meat. So as long as you're hitting the above, you're okay. Whether you do or don't have grains, whether you do or don't have meat, you're okay. Just focus on those vegetables, fruits, nuts, legumes, fish, whole fat dairy, load up on those, enjoy those, and you are well on your way to a long, happy, and healthy future without cardiovascular disease, hopefully, stroke, and myocardial infarction. I hope you enjoyed that study out of the European Heart Journal in July 2023. I will link to it in the show notes below. And here we go on to the veggies of the matter. It's time for the veggies of the matter, and I'm going to tell you about a scene that I dread. Here's the scene. I'm celebrating with a one-to-one client. She's had a great week. We're always celebrating the wonderful things that my clients do first. So we go through five or six different amazing things that she's done, and we're feeling really positive. And then once we finish celebrating, I say, oh, I noticed you had a sandwich on Tuesday. How did that bread make you feel? Did you notice any energy slumps or brain fog or cravings? And it's kind of obvious that I'm hinting that the bread might be causing these things, but the client quickly rushes in. She's like, oh no, that was wheat bread. Oh, I didn't write that down. It was wheat bread. Sorry. And then I have to be the bearer of bad news. That wheat bread is not always as deserving of the health halo that we give it. So while I hate to be the bearer of bad news, I also love sharing good quality, well-researched, highly impactful information. And so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to take the health halo off of wheat bread. So if you love wheat bread, I'm sorry. Doesn't mean that you can't have it ever. Absolutely not. All things in moderation, balance is the name of the game, but I want you to know all of the facts. And so I'm going to start with telling you about um, why wheat bread has this health halo. First of all, let's talk about white bread. So white bread became popular all the way back in the 1920s when the bread slicing machine came about and consumption just went up and up and up and up and up until 2009 when for the first time wheat bread consumption surpassed white bread. So that was about the time when we realized that many of our health issues were resulting from overconsumption of white bread. And we blamed it on the white part. We thought that it was because the white bread was causing issues. And we thought that switching to wheat bread would be the answer to all of our problems. And so here's where that story comes in that I hinted at at the beginning at the intro segment. I remember distinctly when my mom switched us over to honey whole wheat bread. It was a yellow package called Home Pride. And I've looked it up right now. The second ingredient is high fructose corn syrup. So that just gives you a head start. The first ingredient was refined enriched wheat flour. Um, and uh, I remember switching over to that. I'm sure we complained to my poor mom who was trying to do the right thing for us. And um, she thought that was it. And and that was it. So 
I am not saying here that wheat bread is less healthy than white bread. What I'm about to say is that the problem that we were thinking in 2009 was white bread. The problem was just bread. It wasn't that it was just white bread and that wheat bread solves all the problems. The problem was that it was just bread. But still, um, my mom was doing the right thing by switching us over to that honey whole wheat bread, even with the high fructose corn syrup in there. So um, what's the advantage of wheat bread? Why was she doing the right thing? First of all, it does have more fiber. It does have more nutrients. It uses the whole part of the grain, the bran, the germ, the endosperm. All of these things contain nutrients, and white bread only uses the endosperm, which is just the starch. So wheat bread will technically spike your blood sugar slightly less than white bread. It will keep you slightly fuller. It will provide slightly more nutrients. So This is a welcome change. It's just that wheat bread is still not a health food. So I'm going to go through several reasons here why wheat bread is not necessarily a health food. The first one is the gluten. Gluten is inflammatory. And based on the abundance of gluten-free products all over the supermarket shelves, you probably could have guessed that already, but most people don't actually know what gluten is. Gluten is a name for the proteins found in wheat. So all wheat has gluten. It's impossible to have gluten-free wheat bread. A lot of people will say, oh, I had wheat bread. It was gluten-free. That's impossible because wheat contains gluten. The essence of it is gluten. It is possible to have gluten-free whole grain bread or something like that, but not possible to have gluten-free wheat bread. So gluten is a name for the proteins found in wheat, and it's not just a buzzword. It actually causes inflammation in up to 70% of people. Um, And this is celiac. This is not including those who have celiac disease. Celiac disease impacts 1% to 3% of people. Um, then non-celiac gluten sensitivity impacts up to 70% of people. So there are tons of potential impacts um, on of the inflammation from gluten, everything from bloating to brain fog to skin issues to leaky gut, autoimmune conditions, neurological conditions. In the blog post um, that I will link for today, and in fact, I'll include a separate link to a blog post that I wrote called What's the Hype with Gluten-Free Diets. That blog post will tell you all about uh, gluten, its health detriments, things like that. So head over to that blog post, which is linked in the show notes here. Um, And a lot of times when I start talking about the inflammation from gluten, people might ask why their grandparents didn't worry about gluten. A lot of it is consumption levels. So wheat flour is literally in tons of things right now from ice cream to cereals to salad dressings to soup to protein bars. All of this kind of stuff contains wheat flour. It's not just bread. We're using wheat flour. We, as in food manufacturers, are using wheat flour in an abundance of products these days. So a little bit of inflammation from a piece of bread every once in a while in your grandparents' day is a lot different than having that inflammation 15 times per day because it's in everything you're eating. And also the wheat uh, grain that we're using today contains a much more inflammatory type of gluten than the wheat did 60, 80, 100 years ago. There are studies, which I will link, that show 
that the um, older, what we call ancient grains, the older varieties are significantly less inflammatory and significantly healthier for you. And this is because of um, some of the farming methods and things like that that we are incorporating today. So that's the first reason is the gluten. The second reason, even if we um, didn't have gluten in our wheat flour, flour made from grains overall spikes our blood sugar significantly. So hopefully you have listened to the podcast episode that I did about keeping blood sugar stable. And you might have known from that podcast or otherwise that any grain-based flour really, really spikes that blood sugar. One general metric that we can use to tell how much the blood sugar will spike is something called glycemic index. And people never believe this when I say it. So I'll link to a Harvard Health um, uh, article in the blog post for today that shows that the glycemic index of table sugar like literally that white sugar that we used to keep in bowls on the table, that has a glycemic index of 65, but wheat bread, whole wheat bread is 74, higher, which means that whole wheat bread spikes your blood sugar more than just putting table sugar into your mouth. This is bananas. And this is because the flour is pre-digested. It's ground down. Our body has to do no work to just make that sugar immediately hit the bloodstream, and that's not a good thing. So any grain ground into a flour spikes our blood sugar significantly, and wheat flour is, or wheat is a grain. So that's the second reason I avoid wheat flour. The third reason is the uh, commercial processing methods and, and farming methods that we're using today cause it to be unhealthy. So a lot of people go to Europe, they end up enjoying some pastries or pastas or something, they feel fine, and then they do the same in the U.S. and they feel bloated and lethargic. And this is because of the U.S. farm-based or U.S.-based farming practices Here's a quote from the book Food Fix. It says that wheat flour is sprayed with toxic herbicide, the toxic herbicide glyphosate right before harvest, then preserved with calcium propanate, which has been linked to behavioral issues, headaches, and stomach inflammation. Glyphosate is in so many of our crops, and it is directly linked to gluten sensitivity, so it's kind of like a vicious cycle. As you eat more wheat with glyphosate, you become more likely to have gluten sensitivity. Um, this spirals downwards very quickly. And also the hybridization methods that we're using on our wheat are causing um, the grain to be a lot less healthy for us as consumers. So that's reason number three. Reason number four is a lot of other flour options have more nutrients. So coconut flour, almond meal, all kinds of other alternative flours have higher omega-3 content, higher protein, higher healthy fats, higher vitamin E. There are great benefits from some of these other flours. The fifth reason is that wheat flour is high in phytic acid. Phytic acid is called an anti-nutrient because it inhibits some of the absorption of minerals like iron and zinc and calcium. And all grains and, and nuts and seeds and legumes, they all have some phytic acid, but it's also um, often neutralized in the cooking methods. For example, the way that beans were traditionally cooked would be soaking them overnight and then pressure cooking them. And in doing so, the phytic acid content is neutralized. 
Same thing with wheat. Before, we used to soak the wheat, ferment it, ferment the bread, let it rise, all of this kind of stuff. That would neutralize the phytic acid as well. But today, the bread that's in the supermarket is very rarely soaked or sprouted or fermented. And so the phytic acid content is high and can be detrimental. The last reason here why I avoid wheat flour is that most things that contain wheat flour are already unhealthy. So here's the bummer. Most things like breads and cookies and pastas and cakes that have wheat flour in them are just not health foods to begin with. And this doesn't mean that I think you should never have wheat flour. Like I said before, all things in moderation. If it works for your body, all things in moderation. But if you're choosing on a regular daily basis to limit your wheat flour, it can just help make it easier to choose mostly healthy foods. So if a dressing, salad dressing, has wheat flour in it, it probably also has sugar and preservatives and other things that pull it far away from how we think of a healthy dressing. So it's just an easy way. Okay, look at the label. Does it have wheat flour? Ah, That's not for me. I'm going to choose another option. It can just be an easy little trigger to help you choose more healthy foods overall. And then every once in a while, if you just want to dive into that cupcake made with wheat flour or whatever, I say go for it. This is totally fine. It's a choice that you're making for your emotional health and not your physical health. And that's okay every once in a while too. So I have so many resources about my favorite gluten-free substitutes, um, tips on how to go gluten-free, all kinds of things like that. And I will post them all in the show notes for today's episode, but I hope that helps give a little insight into wheat flour. If you're a loyal listener to Wellness Your Way, you know I am super picky about only sharing information that is well-researched and practical and that I think can change your life. And I hope you love learning the snippets of health information that I share here each week, because I sure love sharing it with you. But I also know that there's a little challenge. You're a loyal listener to Wellness Your Way, but that's just 35 minutes of your week. That's 0.3% of your week. And if you don't have a strategy guiding the rest of the week, then all of the effort you put into learning this stuff and all of the best intentions in the world can easily fly out the window because you have a million other priorities. I get it. It's for people just like you that I developed my Revitalize Health Accelerator. It's for people who already know a lot about health and nutrition, and they're implementing a lot of it. It's for people who feel pretty good in their bodies, but they know they could feel better. It's for people who feel like they kind of know what to do, at least some of it, but then life gets in the way and they don't end up doing all of it. I've been there too, and what I needed was a strategy. What I needed was a way to actually implement what I knew and to do it in a sustainable way that actually fits into real life and doesn't feel like a diet because it's not. The Revitalize Health Accelerator delivers all of that. And as you may have heard, I've recently made it even more accessible to the masses because I want you in the program. If you've been on the fence, consider this your sign. If you want to keep learning and growing and feeling amazing, this is your sign. I'm waiting here with open arms, 
ready to help you stop feeling good because greatness is in your future. Join us at the link in the show notes or go to www.thelionsshare.org slash revitalize. I cannot wait to welcome you into Revitalize. Thanks for listening to another episode of Wellness Your Way with Megan Lyons. I always love connecting with listeners, so be sure to follow me on social media. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss brand new episodes each week. If you love Wellness Your Way, please leave us a rating and review. I appreciate it so much. Stay well, and I'll be back next week. The Wellness Your Way podcast is provided for information only and should not be misconstrued as medical advice. Please consult with your physician or otherwise qualified practitioner on any matters regarding your health and well-being or on any opinions expressed within this podcast or the LionShare website.